It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. As always, I'll give you a quick reminder that you can get our podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, which you can use to create a curated list of podcasts customized to your taste. You can also get the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We're distributed a few other places, too, and I know you've had some issues on iHeartRadio lately. I think we're looking into those. But in the meantime, please check out some of those other sources. Today's show is also brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Make sure that if you do travel, check out Hotels.com to get rewarded for that travel. Don't be jealous of your friend's trip. Take it yourself. We have a lot to talk about in Bengals news today. Surprisingly, mark it down. May 22nd is the May day to talk about Bengals news. We'll start with Diana Russini's report at Diana ESPN. If you don't follow her, she has been a fantastic source especially national source of breaking Bengals news. She was early on the Redmond stuff. Of course, that was reported by Schefter and Kat Terrell. We'll talk about that in a bit. But check out Joe Goodberry's Twitter. She broke the Lou Anarumo story, several other stories earlier in the offseason. B.W. Webb, Darquez Denard, Preston Brown. Um, Yeah, there was... I mean, almost every single, as I was going through it, I, there was a couple I missed and went back and added also. And I said, wow, that's pretty much like 80% of the things that happened to the Bengals this offseason. She has sources in Cincinnati. And today she reports that the Cincinnati Bengals have interest in signing Gerald McCoy, who was released by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday before they signed in Dominican Sue. Now, McCoy has said that he wants to go to go to a contender. So it remains to be seen whether he will have reciprocal 
interest in Cincinnati. But Mm -hmm. as you noted, Joe, the fact that we have a reputable report that the Bengals are interested in McCoy is significant. Yeah, there was a good number of my mentions that when this starts happening on Twitter of they're not going to sign him. He wants to go to a winner or wants to go to a to a team that has a chance. They're not going to. I Listen, I don't care. I don't care if they don't do or don't sign him. I'd like them to sign him because I think it'd be an awesome signing that. But the, the discussion is because it's May. I think we discuss it at any point, honestly, for Gerald McCoy. But anyways, it, there's no news. So we're talking about it. Plus, the fact that they even have interest and legit interest in a good player that could help them at a position I didn't think they filled adequately enough in free agency or in the draft um, is fun, at the very least. They're not happy with what they have, and they see a clear potential for an upgrade of a guy that's been really good for a long time, since 2010, the third overall pick. Um, He's really only had, what, one down year based on, I'm just skimming over pro football focus real fast, and he's been good for a long, long time. He would make an impact. Of course, last year they were talking to Nick Fairley. Was it last year that they were talking to Nick Fairley, or was it longer ago than that? I think that was longer ago. I guess my memory fails me. This has happened a couple of times, is the point I was going to make, with defensive tackles. Mm. They've brought in guys, Warren Sapp. You remember Warren Sapp? I do. And Warren Sapp's story is interesting, if you remember it. It's a weird one. He came in, it sounded like it was a done deal. The Bengals, yeah. it was reported, had signed Warren Sapp. Yeah, that and night. It was real late at night. He went to bed. Okay, so this is what, what I remember him telling the story was uh, uh, Mike Brown gave the offer, said, listen, this is what we're trying to build. This is what we're trying to do. Marvin Lewis is still fresh at the time. Um, here's the offer. Take it or leave it. And Warren Sapp's not getting what he expected out there. So he's he's sitting on it, and Mike Brown he um, says, you've got till midnight to decide, and either you take it or I'm pulling it off the table. So Warren Sapp is thinking about it. he's talking he's talking with friends and family agent and other players and he's like okay i'm gonna do it all right this seems like the best offer i'm gonna go there i don't know what to expect but i'm gonna take this offer he calls it's 11 or so at night he's you know in this by this is when the reports are coming out that warren sepp signed with the bengals he calls and uh it basically said no the offer's already off the table you didn't you took too long so he next day or two he takes a visit with the raiders and that was it i didn't realize that it was the bengals that had pulled the offer yeah it was the Bengals that pulled it because they thought I, this is my interpretation. They felt um, he didn't take it right away, and that was a, a sign that he didn't want to be here. Well, that's one way to run your business, Nick Fairley. I think you're right. <laughs> I think it was in 2015 that he went to the then St. Louis Rams on a one-year deal because I think it was when he was leaving Detroit, and then he went yeah. on to the Saints. So he bet on himself. I I feel like I remember this is similar to Shaquille Barrett where Shaquille Barrett turned down the Bengals offer to bet on himself on a one-year deal somewhere else. Nick Fairley, I, I think, that. did the same thing, and it didn't quite pan out for him, although he did get an extension at some point from the New Orleans Saints for $9 million. So in 2017, he made his money. I was going to say, I want that to come full circle. Remember, we wanted Shaquille Barrett really bad. Uh, it would, In my opinion, it would have been their best signing. Um, he goes to the Bucks. Who are we eyeing most of the draft process? Devin White. Bucks get Devin White. You know what? I'd be happy to trade for Gerald McCoy in that scenario. We'll trade cash for Gerald McCoy and cash. somebody else's in Dominic Sue, and we'll take Gerald McCoy. How's that deal? 
Sounds good. Uh, McCoy has pretty much always been healthy. Uh, looking at it, uh, besides 2011, where he only played 218 snaps, he's normally out there for 65% at least, uh, from 669 snaps to 966 in 2013. Uh, the guy's been, he's dealt with injuries, but he's out there and he's durable. Well, his last two years have been his best run defense grades but from Pro Football Focus, an 81 last year and a 79 the year before that. Uh, overall, in 2017, he had an 86 grade, which is his highest of his career. So he's one year removed from that. Pass rush last year was his worst grade as a pass rusher in his career. Uh, so I think you'd have some concern. But if you watch the Bucks last year, they really struggled as a unit to apply any pressure at all. I think that's a big reason why they went out and, and went for Shaquille Barrett and, and uh, have tried to make moves to getting in an Adama without paying Gerald McCoy $13 million. So... Um, I do think McCoy is still really good. Obviously, age is a factor. He is 31 years old. And the fit with Geno Atkins, uh, Justice Mosqueda from Twitter, uh, asked the same question of how do you play two or three techs? And we've talked about this. He knows this. I think he was more being uh, uh, just putting the conversation out there, you know, of, of figuring out how to do it. But uh, with the nickel package is, is where you start and where you end. And if those two are together and out there and the other uh, and the edges are Carl Lawson and Carlos Dunlap, I think that sounds like the best defensive line you could put together at this point for the Bengals. I certainly think so. I think Justice also suggested putting McCoy and Geno at three-tech and putting Dunlap at nose tackle and letting him bat down passes. That'd be pretty fun. You know, it's funny because some people have... uh... I've got one guy that mentions all the time that says, go to five defensive line. He thinks this is the future of the NFL. And uh, also, I promoted something today from Mark Schofield uh, it, from the Pat's pulpit where he looks at the Iowa State defense and they're doing some really forward-thinking things in the, in the Big 12 where it's three down defensive linemen and basically almost a lot of – they call it a 3-3-3 three, 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 and you, you have those other two guys that are floaters. But how that, that interacts and, and fits and uh, really can defend the run, surprisingly, with just three defensive linemen and basically two linebackers. Uh, so check that out also, especially for – the times when we're seeing these spread offenses and how do we defend them? Well, it might be the conference in, in, in college football that has figured it out first. How much money did Sue get, by the way? Was it about a $10 million one-year deal? Do you remember? I, I did not see at all, actually. So You would have to assume that McCoy will get something similar. I wonder, I, I mean, think. you don't think that he would get $13 million, or at least nobody was willing to trade draft capital for his $13 million contract. So exactly. you wonder what kind of money it would command, probably around the $10 million mark is what I would guess. Yep, off I the would cuff. guess that. So if the Bengals were to make that deal, their their top 51 cap space would be precariously low for their standard operating procedure. But I think at this point we're expecting a cut somewhere along the offensive line or for some veteran to free up a little bit more money. They could also potentially move some of that money with the extensions that they're ex- expected to sign yep. for Tyler Boyd and AJ Green. So the cap concerns, I don't think are really a thing. And I also I was going to say with Ndamukong Sue's contract, if it said 10 million, I bet you there's a lot of incentives with his, because there was with the Rams contract for playoff performances and things like that, which he ended up getting all of that because they made the Super Bowl. And he was great in the playoffs for them too. I think yep. that for McCoy, though, you, you do have some concern that there's some age-related fall-off happening, especially with uh, relation to pass rush. He he did fall off significantly in the pass rush. He's had his first year as a pro that he was healthy the whole year and had fewer than 40 total pressures. 
The yeah. last time that happened was 2015, which was his worst year as a pro that he wasn't injured. So that is a bit of a concern. But still a productive run defender, still probably would easily be the second best tackle on the Cincinnati Bengals. And like you said, he's been very good for a very long time. You just worry about that sharp age-related decline from defensive tackles after age 30. And maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't happen to somebody as good as McCoy, at least right away. Maybe it's more gradual, but it's a risk for sure. And it, it may keep him and Atkins fresh also. if you, There's plenty of times where I'm like, Atkins doesn't need to be out there you know, for, the, for this drive or they're giving him too many snaps at this point in the season. And then there's times where I'm like, Atkins needs to be out there. And you, know, you realize he's already played 50 snaps this game. And it's uh, you know, the backup backups, Josh Tupau getting run over. And, and, and you're thinking, man, they, this is when they could really use a backup three-tech. And I'm not saying Gerald McCoy is going to come in and be the backup. But if you can rotate those two guys in your 4-3 defense and then put them together in your nickel, I think there's a good path to get them both to playing 65% of the snaps. And for McCoy being the, really the number one guy for the, on that Bucks defensive line to maybe being the number three, maybe he's still, maybe he's overdone that. But uh, that helps out a lot. And, and maybe even number four. I mean, Carl, sometimes Carl Lawson's their best pass rusher. So uh, I could see him really rejuvenating and that's why it'd be a one maybe two-year deal i would see it being a one-year deal though i would guess he'll get a one-year deal i mean he's 30 31 right and, and yeah. nobody traded for him so somebody pointed out in your mentions that well nobody traded for him it must not be that much interest so maybe the bengals have a shot but i mean you can so easily see he'll take like a seven million dollar deal from the patriots or something like that and of course try try to try to win a ring and he's he's made money you know right. he's, he's doing okay He's the number three uh, overall pick. He's gonna, he doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah. Still, it's exciting to hear that the Bengals are interested in him. I think he's an obvious fit. I think he's a fit for pretty much anybody. Who was ha- the, uh, in the, tank. the defensive assistant that came from the Bucks? Duffner. Yes, that's right. I Just thinking about that. They, they, they had someone on the, on the staff. Yeah, I was, thinking, I was thinking about that, too. I was like, there must be some connection. Right, the Bengals don't go after big name guys with no connection. This is unprecedented, but then there is the the, the Duffner connection. So at least there's somebody. That's a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining about that. One last point that you kind of spurred in my mind there when talking about the rotation that McCoy might enable is you know how with Geno Atkins and Marvin Lewis, he was always off the field. It seemed like for the second defensive drive of the game. Yeah. I would really like to go back and look and see how many drives the Bengals started with. They started with Geno off the field. Maybe he came on for a third down at some point. But drives where he got designed rest and then they gave up points versus drives that he was on the field and they gave up points. Now, last year, they, they were giving it up to everybody no matter who was on the field for especially those four or 500-yard games or whatever it was in the middle of the season. But yeah. I, I feel like in seasons prior – there's a very powerful trend that says when Gino comes off for those second drives of each half and when he gets those rest drives, they're giving up chunk yards. Like it's a noticeably different defense. I mean, as you would expect with your best right. player off the field, but having McCoy there would really potentially mitigate that to some degree if they could stagger that rest. I follow other writers and analysts from other teams, especially the, the division teams. And uh, I was, it's funny, I saw a, um, a run by, by Connor for the Steelers. Uh, by one of their analyst writers, and it was he runs to the right, and Josh Tupau gets 
thrown through the hole. And I think it's Adolphus Washington or Christian Ringo. I couldn't tell, but it was one of the, at the time, it was the backup three tech. Uh, and he gets demolished. And then Jordan Willis gets blown out of the play. And then Vincent Ray gets blocked by the tight end eight yards downfield. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great run against the practice squad team almost, you know? So it, you're right. Literally. I, Right. I know. The guys aren't even on the roster except for Jordan Willis right now. And what Josh, I guess Josh Chappelle technically on the roster. But point being. He came um, from the practice squad. He did. Right. And uh, point being that I think I could I could probably f- type in my name on Twitter and, and write Geno Atkins off the field, long drive, and 20, t- 20 tweets would come up because I probably have written that so many times. And, and I, I have drink. Too, yeah. Like it's a game. Yeah, it's crazy how predictable it was and how teams just attacked that and knew like, all right, well, we're going to have time for some of those long developing plays or, well, we can probably run the ball right now. I mean, even though they put in their heavy guys that are supposed to be their backup, because when Gino came off the field last year, there was no three tech, right? right. So they had two nose tackles on the field and they're still getting run over. For a long time, it was Tupau. For a few weeks, it was Tupau and Billings. And it's like, they're still getting demolished. And Tupau, I mean... This isn't to say that he was bad for for what his role was. He was he was fine last year. Sure. For for I don't have, you know for, I don't what, have a for what he was. Anyway, uh, some more news. We have a lot of news to talk about today, so this will be the last one before we go to our first break. But uh, Alex Redman has been suspended. Was it a four game suspension for performance enhancing drugs? Exactly what it was. Uh, Kat Terrell wrote about this a little bit on her Twitter account saying that he had been dealing with an injury. He, I guess, tore a labrum. I don't know if it was a shoulder labrum or a groin labrum. You have labrums all over your body. And he had a hamstring injury as well, I believe. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Yep, you're right. He had both those earlier in the year. Yeah, and so he, I guess, was taking them to try to get back on the field or stay on the field or whatever it was and... Sounds like he got caught, and so off he goes for four games. Maybe that's why he went quiet on Twitter, didn't have anything to do with John Miller. He probably found out about it. Just a coincidence, right? Well, that might also be why they signed John Miller. Sure, yeah, and for the opportunity to upgrade. But, yes, it probably is all of that together. I just He's had a rough three months um, from attacking fans on Twitter to being replaced to having them draft a guard also and then being suspended. But, um if you know his stepfather on Twitter, he did say that they had a baby. So congratulations to the Redman family. And I would like to add also this pretty much guarantees him to be on the roster uh, week one. And I, I say that because he is exempt now for four weeks. And right. that, you know, so that means you get 54 guys and you could look at it as a positive that someone may get hurt by week four and you may need Alex Redman. So it's not always the worst thing. Whenever someone gets suspended to me, I'm like, oh, well, he just made the roster. Yeah, it's it's never good when it's Vontez perfect and it's the guy you're expecting right. to shape your defense the way that he did when he was good. Uh, but when it's a guy like Alex Redman, who at this point is maybe your second string right guard, if he's ahead of Trey Hopkins, if he's ahead of Clint Bowling, wherever Clint Bowling ends up. Right. So it's potentially works out for everybody. And the other side of it is, well, maybe maybe he falls out of favor and he gets cut, but I don't know if that's what doing it the right way means or if Jim Turner doing it the right way is, you know, doing whatever you can to stay on the field. Maybe that is the right way to Jim Turner. Hard to know. I will say one final point, though. This guy was struggling last year on the field, right, in play. Obviously injured to the point where he felt he needed help to to get ready every week. And um, 
you still didn't let Christian Westerman play. You still didn't move Billy Price to right guard. You still couldn't get Trey Hopkins to replace him. That's just just crazy to me, to be honest. There was a big commitment to Alex Redman last year from the coaching staff, and it doesn't seem to be the case this year. But I'm sure coaching staffs get their favorites. We'll see what happens with this year's coaching staff. We're going to go to break. I'll take this opportunity to remind you that today's show is also brought to you in part by Untuck It, who makes shirts. I've told you about them designed specifically to look great untucked and feel comfortable both at work and on the weekend or on the golf course if you untuck your shirt on the golf course and you don't wear a polo. Father's Day, of course, is coming up, so help your dad look good. You have a 20% discount right now, too. Can't hurt. Uh, untuckit.com. Go check it out using promo code MBA. You can get 20% off. Again, that's untuckit.com. We'll be right back to keep you up to date on some more news coming out of Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. So as week one of OTAs wraps up, we'll be back with more news right after this. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. Uh, we've got a lot of news today, but this is also a great opportunity to tell you about one of our sponsors, Grip6.com. It's Grip6 Belts. And if you go to uh, their website and put in codes, we have a bunch for you. First one, LOCK20. That's L-O-C-K-E 20. It'll give you 20% off any individual belt or buckle strap combination. Um, first thing we want to talk about here, Jake, I was excited for this because it's the first time Paul Danner Jr. has written anything for The Athletic, besides his opening piece, right? And uh, it was a great look at Tyler Boyd and his situation and mindset of working for an extension from the Cincinnati Bengals and how he talked about uh, he hasn't received an offer yet from Cincinnati, from the front office. He he expects to. He's positive. He's upbeat. He's at OTAs, obviously working and, and running routes and doing everything he's supposed to be doing. Where it seems he's getting uh, advice to that maybe he shouldn't be doing those things. A lot of good details in this. It, honestly, this is the type of stuff that I would subscribe for if you if you haven't already. This isn't a plug. This is me being honest. The, the, these are the type of articles I would like to read where you get some actually inform, actual information and news. Uh, and the player opening up, the the quote I loved the best was Tyler Boyd talking about uh, looking at Sterling Shepard, who is the, the slot receiver, drafted the same year as Boyd, I think like 10 picks or 15 picks before him, and he just got an extension. I believe it was four years, $40 million, $21 million guaranteed, and he made it seem like you throw him with that at him right now and he's going to take it. And for me, I think the Bengals should be running at him with that same type of offer. Yeah, I think the fact that he publicly – said he wants four years, 40 million. That's his target. That's his comp comparison. I mean, if you're, if you're the Bengals front office, well, you're probably going to try to get him at 9 million a year or something like sure. that. But that is a very, I think, affordable number for what he brings to an offense, especially as we've talked about the slot gets more important, especially in the Zach Taylor offense that mm -hmm. hopefully we see for more than one year, right? Hopefully for the life of Tyler Boyd's next contract, which will probably take you out to 2024, 2025. You hope you have the same coach for that whole time because otherwise, well, something else has gone wrong. 
But I think, yeah, I agree with you 100%. If that's the offer that it's going to take to keep Tyler Boyd in the building, go do it. Go get it yeah. done. I agree. And it would be a significant raise for him being a second-round pick. We talked about this before, the highest uh, or the second-highest cap hit um, is John Ross. And now, now what I was trying to say, John, uh, Alex Erickson has a higher cap hit right now than Tyler Boyd for 2019. So getting him to $8, $9, 10000000 million is a significant pay increase. I'll also agree with you that I think it's a really cool piece. And I tweeted about it too, saying it's an unusual and refreshingly honest dig into a player. And and Tyler Boyd really opened up in a way that you don't usually see football players do it. And when when we were talking about this segment right before we started recording it, I started talking about, well, C-Trent also writes for The Athletic. And I know this isn't a Reds podcast, but C-Trent Rosencrantz does a great job of getting really interesting quotes from players. And if that's what Paul Denner's going to do at The Athletic, he'll be worth the price of admission. And you'll get a whole different side of Bengals coverage that we haven't really seen before. I mean, I'm not saying everyone's going to be like Tyler Boyd and say, I want to go get 10 years, $40 million. Right. I mean, he also said he really wants to stay in Cincinnati, which is always nice to see as a Cincinnati fan. So uh, it was really it was really fun to read. Uh, it was a strong open from Paul. Yeah, and I, you know what? Also, I laughed when uh, Boyd said... He wants to get more um, opportunities to be, you know, a sponsor or so or a spokesman, you know, get get those um, sponsorship deals. With, and he said, I'll take a quick 5K or 3K. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, is that all it takes to come, you know, do our uh, commercial for the Lockdown Bengals podcast? Because, Tyler, we are interested. We don't have that kind of pockets, Joe. Oh, OK. We could, we could offer him $30. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought that's what the K meant. Yeah, almost. Um, so. Really cool piece over there at the athletic, and and he also actually mentioned when he was saying that he 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 changed his his agent. He wasn't very that's happy right. with his first agent, and he's got this agent now that's more active and looking for those deals for him. So Tyler Boyd wanting to blow it up. He wants to become a star. It sounds like, and he he wants to do it in Cincinnati. So those are all positive positive takeaways, I think. And I don't know. It's just, it's really fun to get that kind of detail, that kind of level of quotes from a player. And I really appreciate that style of writing. So I was uh, really excited for the receiving court today because I, there were some pieces also that have talked up John Ross. I think it was Jeff Hobson was on with, Oh, I'm forgetting the local Cincinnati um, radio guy. Uh, Lance McAllister. Yes, that's it. And uh, they said John Ross is moving around a lot in terms of pre-snap stuff, pre-snap motion. Uh, Tyler Boyd, uh, the one uh, line in in Paul Denner's piece is he talked about him going across the middle, beating Preston Brown for a catch on a crosser. And I'm and I'm just thinking, yeah, AJ Green also. And if he gets extended, it seems like they want to extend him. I just uh, in a whole as a whole. So I started looking in John Ross's stats and numbers, things like that, and, Ty, and Tyler Boyd and what they could produce in a Rams offense. And I went down a rabbit hole of insane production on that Rams receiving core the last two years. They were they were on an insane pace last year. I mean, we mentioned yesterday all of those receivers were going to be a thousand yard receivers if Cooper Cup didn't get hurt. Eighty catches for all three of them on pace, over eleven hundred fifty yards on pace for all three, and all of them catching over 14 yards per catch, all of them catching over 66% of the, their targets too. These are numbers that, for, for the target percentage, as we know, John Ross was at 36%, um, A.J. Green was at 597 and I think Boyd was at 
something, some change. He was over 70, which is fantastic. Uh, but only one guy over that mark that the, all three Rams receivers hit. And then for the 14 yards per catch, all of them over, went over that. Only A.J. Green went over it. So if you think not only are all these guys going to get more explosive, they should be more reliable based on the, based on this offense, That's it sounds like great news for Andy Dalton. Even Josh Reynolds, who came off the bench to replace Cooper Cup, caught 75% of his passes for an average – oh, sorry, 52, 55% of his passes for yeah. an average of 14.1 yards per catch. 55 is about – Average, as in for, for, for the run-of-the-mill guy that's coming off the bench. I was looking at this a bunch because uh, I was looking at John Ross, and, and I've got um, – I, I wrote pieces two years ago about him ending up with zero catches as a rookie and how that put him in a bucket with a bunch of bad names of guys that never do a thing. I mean, really, the the list one on Pro Football Reference, when you put him in there, ended up with like 80 guys, and I had to whittle it down to make it more concise, and maybe only five of them ended up being good out of that 80 – it was bad at that time. And then year two comes out, and I'm like, okay, so this is what he has to do if he's going to get out of this bucket. He's got to score touchdowns. He's got to score touchdowns. The only guys that ever get out of it score touchdowns year two. And he did that with a lot of issues, right? We know this. So he didn't catch – he had a lot of drops. His, his catch percentage was extremely low because of his uh, low catchable pass rate, whatever the case may be, and his drops, obviously. But – these other guys that also scored touchdowns and got out of it, they all dealt with uh, a low catch rate that, that second year. J- and Josh Doxson, not a great name, right? But he is at least a, a, a solid starting receiver for the Redskins, even though they didn't pick up his option. But 43%, I think it was for him. Vincent Jackson was 44%. Santana Moss, I want to say 47% year two. So while Ross was at 36%, I don't have how much of those catchable targets for those other guys because it was too far back for some of them. Uh, but for, for um, Doxson, it was 71% last year year for him so you could see he definitely had much better opportunities than john ross so then i went further because the first time i looked at it i wrote this this second piece this follow-up piece before they uh hired zach taylor so i wanted to see what kind of offense he'd be in before i started to think about year three type productions now i'm starting to put projections together and i said okay so he should see a jump based on what these other three guys did now. These are the three guys that are in his category that he's with, and uh, if we expect him to be good. Obviously, there's a wide range of outcomes. But all of those guys saw major jumps in year three. So they, they didn't do anything as rookies. They proved in year two that they could at least be a weapon of some sort. Year three, they all saw major jumps in catch percentage, yards per catch, uh, and, and targets and receptions especially Santana Moss. He went off the rails. But uh, even Doxon and even and Vincent Jackson ended up being a, a solid receiver, Pro Bowl receiver. So in this offense, in this Rams offense, putting him in there, if he sees the same type of jumps that these guys did, he's going to see a lot of targets and be, be much more productive than he was last year is basically where I'm going with this. You know what's crazy about John Ross last year? You said he struggled with drops. He had seven drops last year on, what was it? He had 55 targets and... I mean, a smaller amount of those were actually catchable targets, but right. he he had seven drops and four of them came on out routes. Yeah. All That's of, weird, right? A, a vast majority of his drops, more than 50%, came on out routes. Yeah. He didn't get targeted on out routes very often either. He had six targets. They stopped after that. Six targets on out routes, and he dropped four of them. I can remember a bunch too. They were the type of speed outs I'm thinking of where he's he's yeah, going out yeah. and three of them uh, were speed outs and three of them were categorized as regular outs. But they yeah. both had an average depth of target of either three or five yards. And he was he was open on probably four of them, right? Where with a lot of separation, it just goes right through his arms or, or slides right down his stomach and 
those are just silly drops. Those are just concentration, confidence, being in the moment drops. I wonder if there's something to do with hands going toward the sideline too, that it's like a technique thing that he could clean up because it wasn't as much an issue for him in all the other routes he ran. He was catching the ball better, I would say, um, over his over his shoulder rather than when he faced the ball. Because I'm yeah. thinking of the, the slant versus the Ravens also. Yeah, yeah, he, he dropped on a, a slant. Yep. And then the one deep ball versus the Steelers week 17 where he goes up and actually makes a crazy adjustment to it. But his hands were backwards. Do you remember this one? It bounced right, right yeah. off his hands. Yeah. And, I mean, we're talking right now that's already six of his seven drops that I can think of right off the bat. And they're all facing the ball. Yeah. And so – that could also be a reason why they're sending them on go routes so often because those are ones you're going to catch over your shoulder. And I did a little bit of a request to Pro Football Focus. Evan McPhillips does the Pro Football Focus Cincinnati account. He also has his own personal Twitter account, but he looked into John Ross's route breakdown for me. And let's see, 69 plus. So, the the vertical route tree does does the out route count in a vertical route tree or does that is that only the go come back and hitch? I would say go come back and hitch. Maybe post depending on the type of offense because you can run that many ways and be vertical. Okay, so if you count the vertical routes, he had thirty one goes and probably another twenty eight hitch comebacks. So that's uh, 50, combined. 50 for that. Oh, math is hard to do on the fly. 31, 62, <laughs> uh, about uh, 19%, 17% of his routes came on, on just vertical stuff. The next closest is he ran a lot of crossers, a lot of slants, and a lot of out routes. And, and we talked about the issues he had. He had three targets on out routes on 38, 38 outs. Hmm. So they're running him on out routes a ton, and it's not a very effective route for him, it seems like. No, and I remember looking at these numbers when you sent them to me, and I was surprised at his efficiency in some of these. Like, uh, Obviously, his screens, you expect him to catch a large percentage of them, but the slant routes and a couple others, I was like, okay, well, there's a foundation here to maybe we should give him more of these opportunities. Yeah, and the routes where he excelled the most, actually, incidentally, I mean, you look at the ones where he has a lot of targets, he didn't do so good, but crossing routes, which I've talked about, all I want from John Ross is for him to run crossing routes all day. Yeah. Play action crossers out of the slot or or not out of the slot, just all day. And and he had six targets on such routes. He caught four of them. He averaged, where is it? Seven and a half yards per catch, which isn't great, but he had two touchdowns there and was better than the league average in, in passer rating. So the Bengals very effective on crossing routes. Excited to see what Zach Taylor does for the personnel they have that's already pretty efficient on those plays. You know, for last year, I looked at their numbers for throwing to receivers outside the numbers versus throwing to receivers in the slot or over the middle. And it was a drastic difference. And I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but basically the difference of uh, throwing about 51% completions outside the numbers to like 70% inside the numbers. And um, quarterback rating was like a 115 inside versus outside was, was a 75 or something. It was just stark difference between their ability to get the ball outside and without putting Ross in the slot much or moving around much or getting him getting him on these crossers more often uh, he was in a situation where he was catching low percentage passes as we know we've, we've talked about this. this isn't really about Ross this, it was a transition from Boyd anyways we're excited about this offense and the potential especially with the receivers yeah I think that's fair to say 
And we probably won't talk about John Ross. You're probably sick of it, but we, we've been looking into his route tree for a couple of days now and talking about how he's moving around and they're doing some different things with him. And he had the, the tweet about his confidence. So maybe this will be the end of John Ross conversations for at least a few days, but it has been pretty interesting. And so we're talking about it a lot. Yeah, and we'll take questions tomorrow. So you tell us who you want us to talk about. I can give you a scouting report on any player. You tell me the player and I'll give you a five-minute scouting report I got. Kevin Huber. You don't want that. No, no kickers and punters. No, I can talk about Randy Bullock. I could talk about Kevin Huber. Let's too, but not I don't talk want about Randy to. Bullock. I'll get upset. Let's go to a break. Brad St. Louis. Oh, he's not on the team anymore. <laughs> no, he's not. I know. <laughs> Joe, tell them about our sponsor. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you think Bobby Hart starting at right tackle is a hard pill to swallow, you should take a Blue Chew instead. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, the, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's blue Chew. Dot com promo code locked on to try it free bluetooth is the better cheaper faster choice and we thank them for sponsoring the lockdown bengals podcast this is david harrison of the locked on commanders podcast and this episode is brought to you by discover looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 u.s based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. A few more pieces of news to talk about before we let you get back to your busy workday and let you focus on, I don't know, not our voices. I tried listening to a podcast at work yesterday. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I have to like actually think and write at work and 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 do things that require me to focus on them. And I can't listen and do that at the same time. Anyway, uh, the Bengals today signed free agent tackle Justin Evans. He's been on three different teams. He was a college free agent signed by the Ravens in 2018, was cut in final cuts, went on to the practice squad in Washington and Arizona and was waived by the Cardinals a couple weeks ago. So the Bengals went ahead and signed him. He went to South Carolina State for his schooling. I don't see any necessary connections there to the Bengals coaching staff, unless he got a tip, unless Zach Taylor got a tip from uh, his Callahan connection in Washington. Sure. You know what I thought was interesting is you asked Cat Terrell, who's the backup right tackle yesterday, right? And we kind of laughed, all three of us, of not knowing who the backup tackles are at this point. And, and especially if, if Hopkins is um, backing up at the guard spots because they're missing Trent 
Perkins or Kent Perkins, I'm sorry, Alex Redman and Christian Westerman right now. Yeah. So the day later they sign a a bottom Wait, of the Christian, roster type. Is Christian Westerman hurt? No. Uh they Taylor said I'm not ready to talk about why they, those three aren't here. Oh, he's not there. I didn't realize yeah. that. Uh well they did now sign another person to compete for the right tackle position along with O'Shea Dugas or Dugas, I'm not sure how his name's pronounced, and one other college free agent whose name escapes me right now speaking of competing for offensive lineman spots um if you read jeff hobson's piece recently and he's had a couple of me a couple uh in the last two days one each day but one focused on uh nick vigil and john miller which i i thought were really good pieces but a couple things i thought were interesting that he pointed out he says and i i think jake and i thought this and a lot of people thought this but i've gotten comments recently that well maybe clint bowling will compete at right tackle or maybe Clint Bowling will when he comes back will compete at right guard and uh Hobson says right guard is John Miller's spot and he thinks that's pretty much set in stone at this point and I mean I thought that too by the amount of money they paid him they paid him like a top 16 guard you're starting that guy so uh he also mentions that he thinks what they saw week one of OTAs on the offensive line the lineup is the lineup he expects is his best guess at week one in the NF of the regular season uh, for the Bengals, which is, you know, Jonah Williams at left, left tackle, Cordy Glenn at left guard, Billy Price at center, John Miller at right guard, and Bobby Hart at right tackle. And I, I think this is kind of what we expect. I don't know what that where that puts bowling. He kind of mentions that maybe he's going to be their primary utility backup. It seems odd to me that that, that would be the case only because, uh, most teams would release a guy that is being paid like that as a backup. Don't you agree, Jake? Well, especially when they're paying very similar money, a little bit less, like a million dollars less to, to Hopkins, who can also yeah. back up many of these spots. And I mean, maybe the reason you keep bowling around is because you trust him more at tackle if you needed somebody to step in for Bobby Hart, because there really isn't a backup right tackle on the roster right now. If, God forbid Jonah Williams needs somebody to take some snaps from him on the left side. Well, you probably move Cordy Glenn back there, and then and then Clint Bowling just slides back in, maybe at left right. guard. Or Westerman, if you ended up making that move, or right. or Redman, if he's still on the team, or or even off suspension, or Michael Jordan in the fourth round. So they've but, got options. But at right tackle, there's nothing right because they don't trust apparently Cordy Glenn at right tackle Jeff Hobson also said in a very matter-of-fact tone that Cordy Glenn is a better left guard than he is right tackle and I question whether or not that's necessarily true at this point but that's probably how they feel about it because if they felt like Cordy Glenn could pay play right tackle at what they're paying him well maybe maybe he'd be out there or at least challenging for the spot or I don't know maybe they just feel like they have all this money committed all these guys and they have to find a way to get them on the field yeah and Cordy Glenn, if you don't know, has played left tackle his entire NFL career. Uh, he played one season of left tackle. He played a season and a half of left guard at Georgia and a half a season at right guard. So he's never played right tackle. So maybe that's where they're basing it. But I think if you're going to make a move, uh, you spent the last eight years at tackle in the NFL and the last year of college, so nine years now at tackle, left tackle. Uh, I think it'd be an easier move to right side than it would be to learn new technique and new position at the same time. So... Uh, I'd rather flip my technique and, and, and yeah. uh, you know, rather than have everything be completely different. And, and when I say completely different, it's everything's tighter and faster and stronger inside. You get less time to react. You you have to bend a little bit more. You've got to be able to squat a little more. And I, Cordy Glenn didn't look like he could do either of those two right. things last and year. These are all things that, that 
Dave Lapham mentioned in the Bengals booth podcast yesterday or two days ago as well. He saw that Bobby Hart was playing, or not Bobby Hart, sorry, Cordy Glum was playing a little bit high for a guard, and he's six seven. Like he's a he's a giant for yeah. a guard, especially. Like he's very very tall and very long, and so he, he you don't have as much time to decide what technique you're going to play. You can't just mirror and then decide. You have you're like wrestling you said, Joe, instead. You, you have faster impact. Yeah. As you hear it all the time, you're in a phone booth. So you have to react more quickly and you got to stay low. And Cordy Glenn's going to have to learn that. It's going to be an adjustment for him. One other thing, too, that Hobson mentions about the offensive line is is Coach Jim Turner likes the big guys. And that's one of the reasons why he will, he will seemed excited about the move of Cordy Glenn inside. Um, you know, 6'7", 340. John Miller signing him. He's a big mauling right guard. Uh it's kind of interesting that they're guards and interior guys. They might all three of them at this point are guards, but uh, that they are probably bigger than the two tackles they have in, in Bobby Hart and, and Jonah Williams that they still, even though he likes big guys, they went for someone who was considered undersized with the 11th pick. So that is what the current look at the future offensive line looks like. If that's the offensive line in 2019, well, the left side should be better. I think we all think center should be better. Right guard should be a little bit better, most likely. If and not if different in the right ways. You at least should penalties. lose penalties. Yeah, less should. penalties and maybe a little bit better in pass protection. Right, which are important things. And then right tackle is the same unless Bobby Hart takes a leap, which there's no great reason to believe he'll take a leap right now, but the team has a lot of confidence in him, so maybe there's no. something there. The hope is they can hide him for most of the game. And that doesn't change who he is in the in the 10 plays that you need him to hold up in pass protection. But if you're not exposing him 30 times and instead only exposing him 10 to 15 times, well, that's he's going to negatively affect your team less often, obviously. We've talked about chipping a few times on this podcast. We've talked about Paul Alexander philosophically not believing in chipping. There's a podcast you can check out Coach Minich, Matt Minich on Twitter. Uh, he retweeted or linked to a Paul Alexander podcast from April 19th when he talks about and breaks down his philosophical beliefs on chipping. And Paul Alexander has issues with running backs chipping out of the backfield. Willie Anderson on Brandon Thorne's podcast said he didn't get any help with chips under Paul Alexander because he felt like it was an indictment to his coaching on the offensive line, which I found to be pretty mm. funny. But uh, maybe they chip. Maybe maybe Jim Turner believes in chipping, or maybe he doesn't. Who knows? Yeah, and when we talk about chipping, for if, if you don't know, um, it, it works in many different ways, and it can be mostly on the edge. So if a right tackle has a has the left defensive end lined up um, over his right shoulder or off to the side, a lot of times if you have that tight end lined up uh, on the line of scrimmage, you will have to go around him. If you're the f- defensive end, you have to worry about that tight end either coming in and making contact or you have to go around him first. He's going to stall you a little bit. It slows you down another half second, and it gives the tackle an extra half second to get into his, his kick step and his slide and, and gain some leverage. Now, um, if you're a tackle, sometimes you like that to get the extra you know, half second, but it also creates space, and if you're not an athletic guy, sometimes you don't like being out in space with that extra yard and a half, two yards from that, that pass rusher. You'd rather get your hands on him. So it, it probably depends that Alexander liking those big mauling tackles probably makes sense why he didn't like that. As for backs, if they they can chip up the middle, they can pick up up the middle too. But typically what we're thinking of is a running back going out into the flats 
and he will put a shoulder into the defensive end. So the offensive lineman will almost invite, he's going to sit and put his weight almost on the inside and not allow this pass rusher to beat him to the inside. Invite that pass rusher around the arc. And as soon as he starts to go around, that running back meets him, either puts his, his helmet under his chin, his shoulder pad into his chest, or just hits him with a shoulder and keeps going out into his route. Either way, you have that help on your right hip if you're this right tackle in this in this scenario for Bobby Hart. Um, and sometimes I think offensive linemen, I remember hearing they don't like that all the time either because running backs aren't always the best at it. And right. if they miss, you are giving up the, the, the path you hate to get beat, with, and that's around the arc. You don't want to get beat around the arc. You don't want to get beat anyway. But um, if th- those pass rushers are trying to beat you around there, and if you let them, uh, you now open yourself up to counter moves and back power power rush moves back to the inside. I think it creates a whole host of problems unless you, you really feel you can handle it one-on-one. Yeah. And you have a reliable running back who isn't going to make those mistakes too often. And yep. Joe Mixon is not somebody who has a track record He's of not. being a, a great pass blocker. So I don't know if they would ask him to do it. And we do want Joe Mixon to stay on the field as much as possible. So I don't know if we're asking the Bengals to do that either. So That's why Gio keeps his role, honestly, because yeah. he has been so much better at it than Jeremy Hill and, and Joe Mixon throughout despite, his career. Despite being undersized compared to those guys. It'll be interesting to see, though, because that's just another schematic difference that we get to watch for that we have now very clearly articulated to you, the listeners, and now you can watch for it, too, and see how much more often, if at all, they use running backs and tight ends to chip. That's all the news we've got to talk to you about today. You got a little bit of analysis on top of it, as always. You come to the Lockdown Bengals podcast to get expert opinions on your favorite team. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, but especially try out the new Himalaya app. And when you get in your car, remember to tell your smart device to play the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We are taking your questions for the mailbag tomorrow. Get those in by 8 o'clock Eastern to have your chance at having your question answered by Joe and myself. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.